All right. Well, let's get started here with this part of the message. And what this message is, is actually like the last couple of weeks, it's kind of like a corporate message where I'll share for about 20, 25 minutes, and you guys have a chance to share at the end. So, uh, now first of all, if you're facing in a chair that's turned away from me, you might want to turn your chair and face me. It'll make it easier for you. And also, does everybody have an outline? If you don't have an outline, raise your hand, we'll get you one. Uh, and if you, do, if you have a pen, take out your pen. Yes. We'll be underlining some key phrases. Uh, maybe you can borrow a pen from a neighbor. All right, so we're continuing our topic of, uh, these topics are basic. We're continuing the line of basic topics for new believers. And these are like foundational topics. And last week, we covered the assurance and security of our salvation, remember? We covered, if you remember, the... Uh, Assurance of our salvation is we know that we are saved because the Word of God tells us. We know that we're saved because the Spirit within us witnesses with our spirit. And we know that we're saved because we love the brothers. Wasn't that an awesome point? And then do you remember the security of our salvation? That means that we know that our salvation is secure. Not only do we have it now, but we will have it forever. And that was from knowing that we have been born of God once we've been born We can never be unborn. Then we know our salvation is secure because of God's power that holds us in His almighty hands and no one can take us out of those hands. And then thirdly, we know our salvation is secure because God gave us eternal life and that gift is irrevocable. Okay, that was just a quick recap. Tonight we come to the blood of Christ. Let's come to the blood. I love this lesson. And um, so... You know, in our human life, in life, there are certain basic things that we cannot live without, certain basic elements that we must have to survive. You know, you've got, of course, this is common knowledge, you have to have food, you need water, you need air, you need clothing. And in our spiritual life, I want to make a point that there are also certain basic elements that we must have in order to survive as a Christian in this dark world that does not know Christ. So there are certain basic things that we must have to survive. And one of those is the blood of Christ. One of those is the blood of Christ. Now, why do I say that we need the blood of Christ to survive? Well, that is because fallen man essentially has three basic problems. They have three basic problems. And even as a Christian, we still carry around the fallen human life. And so we are still plagued by these three problems day after day. These problems relate to three parties. And these, so each problem is toward a certain party. And the first problem we have is we have a problem with God. Because of sin, we often sense separation from God. Then, within ourselves, we often sense guilt. It plagues us. Then, from Satan, we often sense accusation. We often sense accusation. So, what can we do about these three problems? There is only one solution to these three problems, and that is the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ solves all these issues that we have at the same time. It's so awesome. So, can we read the title and the verse underneath it? Ready, go. The blood of Christ. Okay. Uh, Now, let's read the first uh, verse under toward God separation. Isaiah 59, 2. Go. Your iniquities have become a separation between you and your God, and your sins have 
Okay, now take your pen and if you would, underline a separation between you and your God. You know, in marriage, a separation is when you don't live in the same house anymore. You're far away. You know, let me ask you, how far does God go when you're sinning, when you've sinned? Is it just a little like, oh, no, it's a separation. It's a vast gulf. Even a little sin will cause God to sense, to, to feel far away. Just like a little leaf can block the light of the sun, even a little thing. Maybe you're looking at something on the internet and you're tempted to look at something inappropriate. If, if you do, God has left. This is serious. And I just want to point out how serious this type of sin is. Uh, if you're in this type of sin, you have to open it up and confess it. That's the only thing you can do. If, God is, if you've sinned, God is not there. He's far away. And, you know, a lot of people try different things to deal with that separation. Um, but there's nothing that works. But let me tell you, people try to, the people just wait. Uh, maybe if I just, you know, wait after sinning, eventually it'll just kind of be in the past and we'll be okay. That doesn't really work. And then also doing good things to try to over, you know, kind of offset the sin, that also doesn't work in God's eyes. He needs to see the blood. He needs to see the blood of Christ. So what should you do if you're in that situation? It's very simple. You should say, Lord, I sinned. You should acknowledge your sin. Lord, but thank you your, your son came to the earth and died for me. Out of, out of your love, you sent him for me. He died and he paid the price for me. I think we all know this, but we need to hear it again and again so that we would be convinced the only thing that can restore our fellowship with God is the blood of Jesus, His Son. Amen. And once you do confess your sin, God is back. Which is what Ephesians 2.13 says. Can we read the next verse there? Ephesians 2.13. Ready? Go. But now... So underline there, near in the blood. Near in the blood. So we're just going to underline some key phrases in these verses, and I hope it'll help you just remember the point of these verses. So the first thing is, we were separated from God by our sin, but in the blood we have been brought near. Okay, so that's the problem toward God. And, um, you know, in your experiences, you might sense the separation, but you might also be wondering, how do I sense the nearness? How, or in a sense, how can I validate that God has forgiven me of my sin, right? How do I know? I mean, maybe you feel like, well, I confess, but I don't sense anything. What should I do? Well, there's a story, there's a, or kind of an account in the Old Testament that illustrates what happened back in the Old Testament, how the sins of the people were taken care of. It's very interesting. It's in Leviticus 16. And what happened was the high priest would go into this holiest room, the Holy of Holies, with blood, sprinkled the blood of bulls and goats, and he would, he would sprinkle that blood in the presence of God, and he would do it once a year. And that blood sprinkled would satisfy God's demand. It would uh, give God the way to cover the people's sins. His sins, his family's sins, all the people's sins, that was the way and, but do you know that no one was allowed to go with him into the Holy of Holies? No one was allowed to observe what was happening. 
And so all the people, if they were wondering, have my sins been forgiven? They, they just had to ask, did the high priest go this year into the Holy of Holies? And they would say, did the high priest go this year? And yeah, he went in. Aaron went in. It's okay. God has been appeased. So let me tell you, Christ has gone into the heavenly Holy of Holies. Isn't this good news? And he, didn't have, he doesn't have to do it once a year. He did it once for all with his own blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats. So, oh, it's so awesome. He has obtained an eternal redemption for us. So although we may not see it, the blood of Christ is there in the presence of God. And, his, you know, we sang that song, um, Arise, My Soul, Arise. And it says, Five bleeding wounds he bears. And I think it says they speak. And, it says, for, and they're saying, Forgive him. Forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. And so his blood is, is in the presence of God, and it is speaking for you. I don't know if you knew this. The, the blood of Christ is speaking for you, and it is crying out to God, forgive him, forgive him. Isn't that awesome? So this is the real state of things. We don't see it, we can't observe it, but we can believe it, and we can accept it. If God is satisfied by the blood, we also can be satisfied that God is satisfied. We, cannot, we don't need to have a higher standard than God to accept that God forgave us. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the first problem. The, the blood, it closes the gap between us and God. Then, uh, you know, toward God, the uh, sins offend Him. Sins offend Him. But toward ourselves, or on the one hand, while they offend God, they leave a stain in our conscience. So, so sins defile us. So they offend God, but they defile us. And this is like a mom telling her, her little boy, don't go out today, Johnny, and play in the mud because your nice shirt, you're going to get mud on your nice shirt. And so then what does he do? He sneaks out and he plays in the mud. And that's the sin. That's the act that offended the mom. But he comes back in and he's got a stain on his shirt, you see. So that is the guilt. That is the mark the stain of sin. And what happens when we sin is that not only is God offended, but our conscience gets a stain of guilt. Guilt, what is guilt? Guilt is the stain of sin within you. It is the feeling of having done wrong. Guilt is the feeling of having committed a sin. And we are all plagued with guilt all the time because we still sin. And like I said earlier, people try to deal with guilt in so many different ways. They try to, some people hurt themselves. They try to, uh, like I said, they try to wait. They go to psycho uh, psychiatrists. But the good news for us believers is that the blood of Christ cleanses and purges the guilt from our conscience. Let's read, it says that in Hebrews 9.14. Let's read Hebrews 9.14. Ready? Go. Now underline, the blood of Christ purify our conscience. Isn't that awesome? What can purify our conscience? It is the blood of Christ. Now to purify our conscience means to cleanse our conscience. It means to purge away the stain of sin from our conscience. It means to remove all the guilty fear that we have. You know, our conscience 
is like an alarm system in a building. This is an illustration. In a building, we're like the building and we have a conscience installed in us. It's like an alarm system. And when, we, when there's no sin, the alarm system is quiet. It's, there's, there's nothing wrong. But if there's a sin, it's like there's a break-in into the building. It's like there's a break-in. And the alarm system starts going off. And then even after the criminal gets out, the alarm system is still there going off. Letting everyone know there was a problem. There was an offense, right? So that's what our conscience does. It continually nags at us, like uh, Malik said, it eats at us un- until we can somehow appease it. And the only thing that can appease our conscience is the knowledge that someone paid the price for that sin. So when you hear the gospel, someone tells you Christ paid the price for that sin with his life. He loved you so much that he shed his blood for you. Then your conscience, which literally means with knowledge, See, it had the knowledge of your sin on the one hand, but then it gets this knowledge of Christ's death on the other hand. And it says, okay, that sin is taken care of. That's the only thing that can appease a wounded conscience. Isn't that interesting? It is the blood of Christ. It, it's specifically, it's Christ's death for us. This is the gospel. And our conscience, when it is clean, let me just go on to the next verse, when it is cleansed, it gives us boldness. We have, you know, if your conscience is, uh, is accusing you, you, don't, you just don't have any boldness to come to God. And let's read the next verse, Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brothers, boldness. Now the point here is that boldness for coming to God is in the blood of Jesus. Boldness could never be gained by a person who continually sins. Boldness for coming to God is not in how good our day was. You know, we might like to think that if I had a good day today, then I can have a little more boldness to come to God. But that is really shaky ground. We stand on Christ, the solid rock. Our boldness for coming to God is the blood of Jesus every single time. So underline boldness in the blood. Boldness in the blood. Now I also wanted to do a little illustration here about our conscience. In 1 Timothy 1.19, it mentions that our conscience is like a vessel which holds our faith. And if we have faith, then we have boldness in coming to God. So you can imagine our conscience like this cup and this water like our faith. And what happens when we sin is that our vessel conscience is wounded. It's pierced. And as you can see, well, all of our faith leaks out. So what we need is the blood to come in and purify our conscience. I was trying to get a cup that was bigger, that held, that got the whole thing, but you get the picture. We need the blood to stop our faith from leaking out. Isn't that good? Okay, let's go on to the third point. Towards Satan, accusation. From Satan, we get accusation. You would think that if God forgave you of your sins and if your conscience was cleansed and was silent, that the problem would be over and the case would be closed, right? But that is not always the case. That is not always the case. And why is that? Is that because God didn't forgive you? No. 
Is that because the blood doesn't work? No. It's, it's because there's a third party in the universe named Satan. And Satan is an accuser. In Greek, the word devil means accuser. That's what he does so much that he got named accuser. That's his job, is to accuse us. So let's read the next verse, Revelation 12, 10, and 11. Ready? Go. The accuser... Okay, now underline, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that awesome? Now, I just want to point out, he's the accuser of our brothers. That means he, he's focused on us as believers. He's not so worried about accusing people out there because he's, they're not a threat to him. But we Christians, since we're a threat to Satan, he focuses on us. And then it's before our God. So he's, he's able to access God and he's always accusing us in the realm of righteousness before our God. And thirdly, it's day and night. That means he accuses us nonstop, 24-7. He never takes a holiday. This is his full-time job. This is bad. What are we going to do? How are we going to overcome this accuser? Uh, it actually gets worse because he's Satan the serpent. And so the serpent in Genesis 3.1, it says, was more crafty than all the beasts of the field. And crafty means cleverly using deceitful methods to achieve your goals. Uh, so, cleverly using deceitful methods to achieve your goals and aims. So, that means he cleverly uses deception to make his accusations that much more effective. Do you see that? So this is really bad. So what that translates to in experience is that Satan actually would like us to think that his accusations are God's speaking to us. That's what he would like us to think, that his words are God's words. And then we would feel totally demoralized and drained. So what can we do to discern the difference between what God is saying and what Satan is saying? Um, there are three indicators that I want to give you, three indicators. And one is Satan's speaking is very general. So he'll just say, you're just a rotten person. You're just a bad person. You've really fallen off ever since high school. It's very general. God's speaking about a sin is targeted and specific. God's speaking is very specific. He'll say, you lost your temper. And, it's a, and you know the instance that he's talking about. And then you can confess that. So that's one thing. Satan speaking is very general. Uh, God speaking is very specific. Secondly, Satan's words drain us. Satan's words cause us to feel depressed. They do not, they do not help us pray they do not help us confess. Whereas God's speaking, although it pierces you and wounds you because it's convicting light, it helps you confess your sin. It feels like it's uh, healing you and supplying you. Isn't that good news? That's God speaking. Thirdly, and this is probably the most easy indicator, uh, God will never ask you to confess a sin twice. I don't know if you knew that. God will never ask you to confess a sin twice. Uh, Satan would love to bring up sins from years ago and just drag them in front of you and just have you feel horrible, although you've already confessed those sins. And the reason God will not ever ask you to confess a sin twice is because 
uh, in Jeremiah 31 and 34, it says, their sins and their lawlessnesses I shall by no means remember anymore. In other words, he forgot. Once you confessed, he forgets about it. And then if you try to confess again, he'll say, I forgot. I don't remember what you're talking about. Isn't that good news? He doesn't keep a record of it. So, what should you do then if you've already confessed a sin, but you're feeling these lingering feelings of, oh, I'm a bad person, these accusations that are subtle? You should stop confessing to God at that moment, and you should turn to Satan. And you should say, Satan, something like this, Satan, yes, I sinned, but God sent his son to die on the cross for me, and his blood paid the price for my sin, and his blood's cleansing me. So all your accusations are coming to me, but they're finding the blood. They're overcome by the blood. So you should speak to Satan in this way. Even tell him, go away. Go jump in the lake of fire. <laughs> and you can quote this verse. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. And there's actually a story about this, a similar story in Zechariah 3, 1 through 3. Zechariah 3, 1 through 3. And Joshua, the high priest, is standing before the angel of Jehovah. And Satan is there standing at his side to be his adversary. And he's accusing him. And Joshua is clothed in filthy garments. And Jehovah says to Satan, he says, I rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, I saved him. And then it's, he says to him, I cause your iniquity to pass from you, and I clothe you with stately robes. I clothe you with stately robes. And this is a picture of our unrighteousness in our, gar in our actions. You know, our garments signify our conduct. Having filthy garments is having sinful conduct, and we all have that before God. But in Christ... Well, Christ's righteousness is extended to us. Christ's righteousness becomes ours, and God clothes us with stately robes in Christ. Did you realize God has clothed you with the best robe? Your robes are whiter than snow. This is amazing. So when Satan sees that, he cannot accuse you. He's overcome. His accusations were based on your filthy garments. They were based on, there was real reason to accuse you because there were real sins. But those sins have been totally eradicated. And now you're clothed in stately robes. This is so awesome. So he's, repel, he's repulsed and he's overcome. This is the way that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, and so uh, let's, let's go on to the way to apply the blood confessing and it's so easy to use the blood. You know, with every basic thing, you have to know, how do I use it? How do I apply it? The way to apply the blood is confessing. Let's read the, the verses under that point. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from every sin. Now, in this verse, just underline, if we confess our sins. And to confess just means to say the same thing. In Greek, that's literally what it means. The word is homo logeo, and it means to say the same thing. That means that God says to you, you looked at that, and you just acknowledge, that's right, I'm sorry. 
I just, I looked at that. You said that, so you see how I said the same thing. So it just means to say the same thing. That's all we have to do. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from every sin. Now, it says He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Notice that. That's related to point one. That restores our fellowship with God. The problem was we were separated, but the forgiveness restores the fellowship and eliminates the distance. And also, faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's to deal with the guilt of sin in our conscience. Isn't that awesome? So God deals with both our need to be forgiven and the stain of sin in our conscience. Um, Okay, so that's basically the message. It's just very simple. It's the blood of Christ solves three basic problems. Toward God, solves the problem of separation. Within ourselves, solves the problem of our guilt. And from Satan, it's, it overcomes his accusations. And we apply the blood by confessing our sins. Isn't that awesome? So I would just say, do not wait a long time to apply the blood if you have a sin. Just apply it right away as soon as you sense it. And also realize the blood can be applied for every sin. There's no sin too great. And um, by the precious blood of Christ, like I said in the beginning, it's a basic element we need to make it. By the blood of Christ, we can live in God's presence all the time. And we can make it as Christians in the world. So this is truly one of the basic elements that we need as a Christian. Okay, so that's basically what I had. Um, I think what we want to do is break up now for about 10 minutes in pairs. Not groups, but pairs like we've been doing. And you guys take the outline and practice speaking. One person speak the outline for a few minutes and then the other person. And then I think we're going to have some volunteers come up here. Okay? So go. Go.